Okay, thank you everybody for joining us for Travels Path Forward Hotels. This is a part of SCIF's series of virtual discussions that we're hosting as a rapid response of tactical ideas, analysis, and resilience to the industry as a response to the coronavirus crisis. We'd like to thank all of our incredible speakers for sharing their time and perspectives today. We'd also like to thank Oracle Hospitality for being today's sponsor. Before we begin today's session, we'd like to let you know that Skift Forum Europe will be coming up as an online conference on June 30th. Please join us for a day of intensely Europe-focused discussions with leaders from across the industry. Go to forum.skift.com to learn more and register. Now back to today's topic. Note that we'll be recording this event and interviews for archival on our website, should you miss any of these discussions. We will not be taking Q&A via Zoom for today's discussion, but some of you have sent questions already, which we will try to address. Thank you. To kick things off, please join me in welcoming SCIF's Editor-in-Chief, Tom Lowry. Thank you. And as Brian mentioned, uh, I'm Tom Lowry. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of SCIFT, and I want to welcome all our participants today to our Hotel Summit. Before we get going, I'd like to just sort of talk about what we've been up to at SCIFT, including some of the new innovative offerings uh, since the pandemic began, uh, one of which you're participating in today. So these webinars have been just a great platform to facilitate conversation among industry leaders about uh, the new world order in travel or what we, we hope will be a new world order in travel going forward. So uh, we'll resume uh, with these webinars in July with a new series of uh, conversations. Uh, and that's in order to, to allow us to put our heads down and work on what Brian just mentioned, the Skip Forum Europe uh, event on June 30th. Uh, in addition, uh, when the pandemic uh, began, uh, we launched a live blog. So this not only includes all the great content from Skift, but uh, aggregation of stories from other, other sources. So everything is collected in one place. It's a service to our readers, uh, and it's updated around the clock by our team. Um, so again, uh, another great resource uh, from Skift. Uh, in addition to that, on Friday afternoons, our founder, Rafat Ali, has a uh, host a live stream Q&A with a single industry leader each week, uh, sort of a, an opportunity to go in depth about the future of travel. Uh, this week we've got Sarah Nelson, who's the head of the flight attendants union here in the US. So if you haven't registered for that, please do. That's at 3 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. So please uh, uh, sign up for that if you can. Uh, in addition, our, our research team, our colleagues in Skip Research have been really busy. Uh, we've got something now called the Monthly Skiff Travel Tracker, which uh, is a survey of consumers and consumer sentiment about their plans to travel. So the next uh, uh, survey results will be released in two weeks, uh, so about the middle of June, uh, on the Skiff Travel Tracker. And next week, we're really excited about the Skiff Travel Recovery Index, which will assign scores to countries and industries within those countries based on their abilities to, to reopen and recover. So that's coming next week. So, so pay attention for that as well. Uh, and then finally, we've got uh, something we're really excited about, which is a reopening uh, timeline, both uh, for the US and international. And you can go to that at reopening.travel. That's sort of a sort of date by date listing um, and linked out to stories about specific reopenings in terms of destinations, airlines, uh, hotels, uh, covers the entire industry. So please keep an eye on that. That's reopening.travel. In addition to that, we've got our regular offerings, which are two daily newsletters a day. 
as well as our Skiff Daily Briefing, which is our daily podcast, which gives you sort of a, a tease of what we've got uh, coming for the day ahead at Skift. And you can, you can uh, sign up for that podcast at wherever you, you choose to, to get your podcasts. So again, I want to thank uh, everyone for supporting our independent and uncompromised journalism uh, and for your contributions over these past few months. They're greatly appreciated. And for any contributions you may be considering in the future, a heartfelt thanks from here, uh, from all of us here at Skift. Thank you again. And I'll turn, with that, I'll turn it back over to Brian. Thanks, Tom. So we're going to kick off with our first discussion, Asia's Uneven Normality, Business Travel, Weekend Leisure, and Adaptable Operations. This conversation will feature CEO of Langham Hotel Hospitality Group, Stefan Lesser. Uh, it will be moderated by, moderated by Skift Corporate Travel Editor, Matthew Cousins. Hi, everyone. Uh, yeah, I think I'm, hopefully um, everybody can hear me. Um, so I just want to say uh, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Tom and Brian, as well, for the introductions. Um, so, Stefan uh, Lester, great to have you with us. Um, thank you for joining us for Path Forward today. Um, so, you're CEO of the Hospitality Group, um, coming live from Hong Kong at this very late hour. So, thank you for joining us. Um, I just thought we'd um, maybe start off with just uh, you know asking if you can give us a kind of breakdown of the group and uh, the, the kind of hotels that you operate. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, thank you. Yes, it's late. It's past my normal bedtime, but that's, uh, I mean, that's the industry we're, we're living in, right? You know, we're a Hong Kong-based <clears throat> group that derives its name from our mothership, the Langham in London, uh, opened in 1865. So we're turning 155 years old with the brand this year. Uh, we're having 22 hotels around the globe. We have 11 hotels in China. And... Um, Sydney, Melbourne, um, in the U.S., we're currently renovating our Boston um, hotel. We operate New York, Chicago, and um, L.A., and um, then obviously in London. So um, this is what we're doing. And um, as you know that uh, I sit here in Hong Kong, that obviously I have been exposed to what we're going to talk about from uh, day one. Yeah. Okay, um, and we, I think we've got about 15 minutes for our little session here. So um, obviously, you know, we could we could talk for a lot longer. So I think what's going to be really interesting is just kind of hearing your views of, you know, what you've been doing and, and what's coming up next. I mean, I think it's fair to say based where you are, um, you know, one of the first hotel groups to really experience this crisis, you know, coming off the back of other kind of political events in Hong Kong. Um, so I was just wondering if you could briefly share with us, you know, what was going through your mind when, when this began? in that first wave kind of around December, January, um, you know, you had no real precedent. Um, so I was just wondering what, what happened exactly when, when, when it first uh, started to unravel. Yeah, it really hit us around, uh, and, and for me, the personal experience was when I went back from work in the evening of the 22nd of January, and I realized that here in Hong Kong, about maybe 20% of the people were suddenly wearing face masks. And uh, there is obviously a strong muscle memory from the SARS times um, and, you're usually on a, uh, let's say on a winter uh, day, you have one to 2% of the people wearing masks when they feel they have a cold and protecting other people. And then you can see 22nd, 23rd of January, already 50%, 24th of January, everybody, that was Chinese New Year, everybody was wearing a face mask. And then one of the differences between what you experience right now and what we have experienced in Hong Kong is that we actually never went into a lockdown situation. 
right? So we mm -hmm. had a kind of like what I called a controlled hibernation and a little bit of a lockdown in, in China, but in Hong Kong, the two major things that happened was the first one that the schools never opened after the Chinese New Year holidays and up to now they're not open. And we canceled all the events and uh, basically exhibitions and, and large gatherings. And, but the rest we were, you know, we were still using uh, the public transportation systems, FMBs open and, and all those kind of things. Where in uh, China, we pretty much went down to zero relatively quickly and um, all hotels stopped pretty much operating for roughly, and I looked at it today again, for roughly about an eight weeks period. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and here in Hong Kong, because then the borders closed, obviously F&B business is, is, is on, but uh, accommodation rooms business is pretty much in single digits. Yeah. Okay. And, um, you know, from, from my perspective, you know, you're, um, obviously the luxury sector seems to me like it's going to be pretty hard hit by this. You know, they've got the emphasis on kind of five-star dining experiences. And uh, I know in the past you've talked about, um, you know, you're not high-tech, you're high-touch. So clearly quite a lot of work to do around those kind of perceptions of the luxury, luxury sector. How are you going to adapt uh, some of your hotel experiences, do you think, in the future for the future world? Yeah, I think maybe touch is the, is the word that at the moment is not very, very high on the, on the priority list. But it, it, for us, it stands more for care, right? And care will remain relevant. And one, when I used to say we're high touch versus high tech, um, it was about that we are obviously a, a, a high caring organization. And this will continue. We will reduce the physical touch, obviously, through the use of smart technologies in terms of how the interaction um, uh, is between our guests and us in via messaging apps or or giving uh, basically tips uh, via technology uh, also increasing the level of understanding of why are people coming why are people traveling and making sure we, we have a very bespoke um, and craft experience for them and then also when it comes to F&B it's it's about how do we adopt the offering in a way that people can still enjoy what they love but with peace in mind. And one of the examples that I said is there was a headline that this is the end of the buffet offering. And this is actually not what we are seeing. What we're seeing is that we have to look at how we deliver it in a very different way. And when we talk about luxury buffet offerings, obviously that was not about uh, all you can eat. It was more about how do I present the things that I always wanted to try, but wouldn't choose on a menu and have uh, this, this kind of like uh, uh, offering in a way that um, had some quite nice side effects that we see. You know, we reduced actually food, food waste in the way we deliver it right now because people are still selecting it, but we're then uh, handing it to them rather than they are doing the things themselves. And we have plastic protection shields in, in between them and, 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 and the food. And so there are little adaptations. But if I've learned one thing, we're part of an industry where I think we are, we're used to deal with the uncertainty. And the teams are incredibly fast in, in understanding what the original intention from the clients were. Why do they want something in a certain way? And then how can we deliver it in a new way of still giving them what they want with the confidence that they can get it in a way that it's safe for them? Yeah. Okay. Thanks. And, um, you know, I, I think it's fair to say as well, you know, a lot of hotels, cities around the world, you know, restaurants are still 
close but um, you know we talked briefly very briefly earlier and you mentioned you know dining is still going on in, in, in Hong Kong in particular and give us an idea of how you know those specific restaurants or hotels are kind of adapting I mean is, is there still a good atmosphere is, is kind of a people confident are they relaxed we have two phases we need to distinguish up to about the middle of March we were actually operating almost normally in our F&B outlet. The one thing is that you, yes, you enter it with a, a face mask and you then uh, take care of it when you, when you dine. Then we had some returnees from overseas that brought a little bit the cases, the number of cases up here in Hong Kong. And then we had for a, a certain period of time where we reduced and increased a little bit the distances in between, for example, the tables. We, re, we reduced the number of people at one table down to four that has been now uh, relaxed up to eight. But what I would describe it is a little bit like traveling before and after 9-11. Before 9-11, it was all about hurdleless travel, how you, you quickly get through an airport onto your plane. And after 9-11, it was shoes off, laptops out, liquids out. And, and what we do right now is when you enter, whether it's a store or a restaurant, it's very normal that you get your temperature checked. You put your travel questionnaire very quickly, fill it out. You put your phone number down in terms of in, just in case something happening that the traceability is there. But you don't really, it, it's not something that bothers you. It's just adapting a new normal. And that is maybe a little bit the difference between us operating already in that environment and you are mostly being in a lockdown situation where you just don't know how that, that will feel. And I can tell you, it, the actual dining experience doesn't really feel different. We had just a, a, a lunch at a Vietnamese restaurant a couple of days ago, and you know, eight people. It was an absolute normal uh, dining experience. Okay, that's quite reassuring to hear. But it sounds like these are the kind of experiences that the rest of the world will, will see start to um, to adapt to. Um, obviously, you know, you've got quite a large footprint with your hotels, and these hotels cost a lot of money to run. You've got the extra hygiene costs. So, you know, we're talking about hotels today and there's going to be a lot of hotel groups around the world looking at how they um, deliver a good service, a safe service, but still manage costs and keep open. Can you give me a kind of rough idea of how your different properties are managing the costs or how you as CEO make sure that businesses, you know, the hotels will run effectively in terms of occupancy levels or just keeping staff on board? Yeah, one of the main messages that we had to discuss with the team was that as strange as it sounds, but being closed is actually the easier uh, management challenge than actually gradually going through an opening process. Because being closed, very clear, the focus is all about cost. But when you reopen, the real tricky part was how do we make sure we don't bring on cost faster than actually the revenues return? And what we've seen in our experience now from China is that the amplitudes of the returning business are quite big. So we have occupancies over certain weekends that are going in the 70s and 80s, but then we also have days that drop down to, to 20% occupancy levels. So the challenge of getting a flexible workforce in place to make sure that we're actually ending up with a higher GOP level or a positive GOP level rather than uh, a gross operating loss is, is not, that, not that simple. So what we've done is we've brought people back from whether it was furlough or other measures uh, like no pay leave, which we had to make sure that we keep, keep employment high um, in a very staggered place. And we have right from the beginning 
made sure that everybody does almost every job in a hotel to have the flexibility around from a daily rostering perspective, which I think is, is very, very important. Yeah, because the challenge is, especially when you say you have those social distancing measures or those restrictions in terms of numbers in place, that you might be challenged in reaching profitability also when it comes to F&B outlets. Yeah, so the message is flexibility, which probably applies to most, most companies and suppliers. Okay, um, now jump on to the kind of, you know, the next phase, the recovery phase. Um, it's, it's a classic question, um, but, you know, are you, do you perceive a V-shaped recovery or an L-shaped recovery? What's it look, looking like for you? Yeah, we, we were hoping for a V-shaped recovery. It's actually not what I see in China, right? It's not an L-shape either. It's not a, well, it's not a U. It's more a matter of, a I think, a staggered climb up. Um, what we experience at the moment is that because of the closing of the borders, we only have domestic travel, okay? So we have some leisure travel that is triggered by the fact that people just want to go out and about and want to reconnect. And then we have some domestic business travel returning. But the affairs, the events are only returning in China as of the beginning of July. So we will see how that will happen, how that will affect our Shanghai business when, when there are actually 27 events scheduled just close to our Hongzhou Hotel between July and the beginning of October. And that will be very interesting to monitor. Yeah. Okay. Um, and again, you know, when we're talking about recovery, you know, I think especially for your sector, you know, the, the high-end luxury sector, image is important. So obviously marketing is important. And, um, you know, we, we picked up recently on, on um, a, a new initiative, which was really interesting um, with the development of the heritage tourism brands. So um, we've actually got a video which we're going to run in the background silently now. So as that's running, uh, it'd be great if you could just kind of give us an explanation of, of what, what this video is all about and hopefully the video will run soon. Yeah, there is actually a very nice song to it, but, uh, you know, people can, can, can look it up. It's about Hong Kong, our home. And um, it was triggered actually also before, um, before Christmas already in, in, the, uh, in, in a situation where we said, how can we make sure that we bring Hong Kong back positive on the map? And then obviously through the um, coronavirus crisis, we felt that uh, this is even more important than, than beforehand. Um, so it was triggered by the Hong Kong-based heritage brands. We got together and felt that while we are competing uh, about attracting the guests, we're all in that together and trying to make sure that we give a positive message to the world about what Hong Kong has to offer. And if we joined forces and about promoting Hong Kong, that would only make us all benefit. And that also gave us a stronger voice in also interacting with government um, entities and, and uh, Hong Kong Tourism Bureau and, and, and with other partners. And there, as you see, there are some great brands on, on that display. And uh, there is obviously also a lot of know-how and a lot of creativity behind. And, um, and, and it was a, it's a fantastic working relationship. Jennifer Cronin from Wharf Hotels, she has actually the lead in that, and then and, and, um, Peter Bora from Peninsula, and, and, and also the people from Swire and from Mandarin, and, and, and I, and, and, and it's really a great working relationship. And um, we are still competitors, let's be clear. Yeah. And uh, do, you know, do, you, do you imagine that a lot of other destinations or cities will, will kind of look to uh, replicate what you're doing? Do you think it's going to be a common marketing tactic in the future? 
I think there is no harm, right? At, at the moment, what you see is obviously a lot of the, the destination marketing is driven by the, the tourism bureaus or the, the, uh, the government uh, tourism entities uh, with all the imagery. And, 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 and I think that we can do as the, the businesses in the destinations, we can do a lot about um, communicating and, and in a creative manner. Yeah. Okay. Um, as a gift, I cover the, the corporate travel sector. Um, and I know at, at Langham, you have a mix of uh, obviously business and, and leisure, leisure guests. Again, this is a, a classic question. You know, we've been asking this um, for, for a good few months now. Um, you know, are you getting any insight based on your data, forward bookings, whether it's going to be the business sector that's going to kind of drive a recovery for some of your hotels? Or, or will it be the uh, leisure tourists? We will see both. Weekends, very clearly leisure it's all about reconnecting with friends, with families and uh, and getting out and about, as I said before. And during the week, there is a certain business travel recovery for um, certain industries in a in a in an earlier stage. Um, but I don't see the business travel returning to the levels prior to the crisis in any time soon. We will see uh, business travel leading the way, um, but it will be not the spike that we would hope for. Yeah, okay. Um, and do you have any other thoughts on coming out of this, this, um, this, this crisis? I mean, you know, we talked before, you know, you're based in Hong Kong, you've kind of been living and breathing this um, for, for a long time now. Are there any other kind of uh, vantage points you can share with, um, you know, the people watching this, this webinar, you know, where there's hope that they can kind of look, look to? <clears throat> what I experienced living here in, in, in Hong Kong is that discipline is what has brought us in the position that we never had to go into lockdown. And uh, I know that there are a lot of conversations going on about wearing masks and whether they're effective or, or helping out. What I can see is obviously population is very, very dense here. Um, but because the masks are raising a constant kind of alertness that something is not normal that has prevented the, the the disease from from spreading about that and i think this will stay with us for um quite a while the part that i said earlier i don't think i don't think that negative about how the life will look for the time being until we have a vaccine or or any form of medical treatment for it there will be a return to certain normalities and the human beings adopt that very very quickly I firmly believe in what I read about the, the travel bubbles, that there will be maybe new origin and destination pairs that are, are coming up from countries that are eligible, and there are new opportunities. From what we look on the inside, it's very clear we use the opportunity at the moment to really re go through our operational processes, and, and that's the chance when you're, when you're empty to really reconfigure and say there are certain things that we always have questioned. Do we really want to continue it in that way? Um, or do we now take the time to make some of those changes? And this is what, we, what we're quite busy with. At the same point in time, I also don't want to give up on, on initiatives that I feel are super important. One of them that could be easily sacrificed is the whole drive for sustainability, and that's not going to happen. I mean, for us, we're actually we're wanting to double down on sustainability and making sure we're not just now giving up on, on single-use plastics and those kind of things because that would be a too easy out and it's, it would be the wrong thing to do. So this is an yeah. important initiative and the full organization stands behind. Okay, that's, that's good to hear. And I guess um, you know, it's good to hear that, that kind of message is 
is that topic is still still important for for the group um i think we've almost well i think we have actually run out of time so um i just want to say thank you for for staying up so late for us to share your insights into um into your group and um, really appreciated it's fascinating um facts and kind of best practice tips that i think a lot of people find useful so um I'm yeah, just maybe one word over. Well, yeah sure. one word at the end i mean the, the most yeah. important part is obviously communicating with with you know all of our colleagues and, and being transparent about what we know and what we don't know because while yeah. we see certain things we cannot communicate enough about also the things that we don't know and what the assumptions do we have in place and then what are the consequences about if the assumptions don't you know materialize or not and i think this is something that uh, uh in our industry where it's all about people is super important so yeah. thank you very much for having me i wish you a great day or a great afternoon afternoon yeah great stuff okay well i'm sure this you know this kind of um you know the, the message about transparency will also uh, continue throughout the rest of this webinar so yeah thank you again and um good luck for the future and i'll now hand back over to brian thank you thank you Thank you, Stefan and Matt. Uh, next up, we have a conversation on shifts in luxury, wellness, and guest experience. This conversation will feature global brand head Waldorf Astoria and Conrad Hotels and Resorts at Hilton, Dino Michael, in conversation with Skift President Carolyn Cremens. Hi, Dino. Thanks for joining us from the UK. So let's jump right in. You've been with Hilton for 11 years now, and you're overseeing both Waldorf and the Conrad brands. In the course of six months, Hilton goes from celebrating its best year on record, its 100th anniversary, to cut to the pandemic. Hilton has furloughed more than 60% of its 430,000 person workforce. Now, if I'm correct, you oversee 60 plus properties, 11, which launched just last year alone. So Dino, what is the current state of those hotels? Are more open and closed right now? And do you feel like we're past the worst of it and on the upswing? Um, yeah, look, hey, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Um, twen uh, 2019 was always going to be a difficult year to beat. You know, with, that, with that kind of record-breaking growth, and again, it's not something that um, we particularly want to be at the forefront of having that many hotels open every year. I think that the planning and our growth strategy um, is solid. Um, coming into this year, I think we're still very confident. You know, we've still got um, three hotel openings in 2020, uh, Conrad Punta de Vita, Story in Siamen, and uh, the Susana Hotel, part of our Alexa collection. So across our three luxury brands, you know, we're adding to our portfolio of over 70. So I think we're, we're comfortable. And yes, you know, I think it's been a very, very um, tough start to the year, like, like everybody else. Um, but you know, we're, we're reopening hotels every day. Today, we reopened our Ward of Astoria in Jerusalem. So a big shout out to the team there as, as they, they, they start to get back into it. But no, I think look, we're, we're always looking at a long-term perspective. I think there will always be a short-term issue. I mean, this one is particularly acute. You know, I think I'm, I'm deciding whether the word of the year for this year will be unprecedented or social distancing. But there will always be something that I think that affects growth. Um, I think obviously this one is harder, faster, and deeper than most. But if you think about our growth and our relationships, these are 25 to 30 year relationships. So we're always looking beyond, um, beyond that. 
Well, amazing to, to think that new hotels are going to be opening this year, but um, I'm glad to hear that some of the ones that have closed are, are starting to open, like in Jerusalem. Um, so, you know, talk about what's happening in China. Um, you had mentioned when we talked earlier that you were seeing um, some revitalization there. Uh, is it just in China or is it in Asia at large? And my second part of that question is, what are some of the early lessons that you're learning from China that you can apply to the reopening of Europe and North America? I think obviously China being at the forefront of the pandemic, you know, we, obviously we look there first, uh, looking at trends, but certainly we're seeing a lot of pent-up demand. Um, you know, as Stefan suggested, a lot of positive news around weekends with leisure demand, a lot of, you know, domestic travel ramping up, particularly that uh, anything that's within a drivable distance uh, whilst restrictions are in place. You know, people are, you know, really happy to be out, uh, celebrate, you know, become, uh, you know, so get out of their town, visit some of our newer properties. So we, we're seeing a lot of strong demand leisure-wise. Again, business during the week, slow but steady, um, and everything is at a different stage. But if, if China's anything to go by, I think we're, we're confident as other countries come out of that. And obviously the rules are changing daily. I think mean, a lot of it will depend upon restrictions internationally, are there or aren't there quarantines in place? Um, you know, will there be air bridges being developed? Um, but certainly looking at you know, the guest consumer behavior in China, you know, they're still expecting the level of service, um, the quality of delivery. It, it will look different, of course. Um, and obviously, you know, as we're, as we're being nimble and we're changing our processes, the one thing I think we're really proud of, you know, given we're an 18 brand strong enterprise and our, and our luxury portfolio is three brands. I think I've been really impressed with the way we've been able to be nimble, to react quickly, look at our processes, look at our brand standards, adapt them in the short, mid, long term, put into place the right strategy to keep guests um, comfortable, confident, you know, very safe and secure that when they are visiting us, you know, our processes are in place. I think a lot of it will depend upon listening to the guest asking them what they want and reacting accordingly. But if China you know, it, it is, a, it is a measure to be, to be looked at, I think that the, the results and, and the, uh, the outcomes are positive. Great, um, Tina, one quick question on the audio. If you can maybe get a little closer to the mic, um, we might be able to hear a little bit better. Um, but I wanna shift the conversation into um, how luxury is shifting now through the pandemic and you know, when we think about luxury, it's really that human touch that elevates and sets apart the experience. But what does luxury look like in a no-touch world? It's funny, as was alluded earlier, high touch isn't necessarily a physical thing. We talk about it very much uh, with the sentiment around listening, um, the detail that surrounds the service, you know, Particularly with our brands, we've always pushed an ethos of, you know, intuitive service, really reading guests and their body language. You know, if a guest comes out of their car and they immediately pull out, you know, hand sanitizer or if they have arrived in a mask, you, you know, you can, you can suggest from that they are a little bit more conscious. If they walk to the rear of the car to collect their own luggage, they probably don't want somebody to escort them to their room. So... We've been training that for a while, that whole ethos. You know, that our team members are trained to look for those subtle cues, those behavior patterns. 
And I think we're really well prepared for the situation we're in now. Guests will be, you know, very cautious, very conscious. And again, making sure our guests and our team members are reminded to continue to look for those cues, to react accordingly. Um, and I think long-term, it's probably too early to, to start looking at that. I think you really need to let guest sentiment settle, really look in at how guests are reacting in the mid to long term. You know, what is, um, what is the future outlook? I mean, certainly our short, short term approach has been very much around the safety and security of our team members and our guests alike. But I think some of the initiatives we've had in place for a while, we're very well established for that. So you talk about looking for uh, the cues from the guest, which um, makes a lot of sense. But um, my question, when you walk into the hotel, um, will it look different? You know, I've had such great um, experience walking into the Waldorf or the Conrads and you walk in and you see that beautiful lobby and the bar. Um, are, are you working on a different flow that guests should take into the hotel? And do you see the aesthetics taking a backseat to safety? And is that a temporary thing or a long-lasting type uh, um, situation? I think, you know, thankfully in luxury, you know, space is something we've, we've been used to. You know, the spaces are you know, more generously appointed. I think, again, depending on how each region evolves, we're, we've got our, you know, our food and beverage experts working on the right kind of spacing within each venue you know, making sure, for example, um, room service can be contactless, so guests can order. I think some of the initiatives we're working on actually are working very well right now. If you think about our sustainability approach, some of the pandemic will force us, I think, to accelerate some of those ideas and initiatives. For example, trying to move away from printed collateral, you know, things that are handled more often than not, moving those um, to a digitized platform. You know, again, it's great. It removes the amount of, you know, printed plastic items in a room. It allows for things that are high, you know, high contact items to be removed. But I think that from a design point of view, and I think some of it will be short-term shifts in how we place items, um, but certainly making sure that you know, particularly with our technology, our Hilton Honors app that runs across the entire enterprise. We've had, you know, check-in and, and um, straight-to-room technology for a while. So that's something, again, someone can come in straight to their room, really minimize the amount of interaction um, they want to have. And particularly, you know, I, you know we've, been, we've been very vocal about our initiative around Hilton Clean Stay. I think, you know, in luxury, we're very used to having our branding very much in the background, very subtle. Um, I think in this case, you know, we're putting our partnership with you know, RB, Lysol, Detol, and the Mayo Clinic very much front and center. So there'll be a lot of cues visibly around you know, that safety, cleanliness, security approach, you know, from the steel on the bedroom door that shows the guest this room has been cleaned, to a, to a much higher standard um, based on, you know, government advice, based on using, you know, clear, branded, recognizable products. So I think that will be, again, a short-term approach. Long-term, I think that remains to be seen. Um, but certainly, you know, as, as was referenced earlier, you know, we will adapt to a new norm. I think, you know, we're very good. Those of you who travel, you know, travel globally, 
you know, every time we travel to a different region, there are different rules. And I think as, as with most things, we'll adapt and we'll adapt quickly. And I don't think the spirit of travel will ever go away. Yeah, it used to be all the rage that, you know, famous uh, chefs were collaborating with hotels and now the trendy collaboration is with hospitals and disinfectants, I guess, right? So, but you, you mentioned that. But you mentioned um, that early on you struck this partnership with Mayo Clinic and uh, Lysol, which, you know, Lysol is like the Gucci of hygiene now. Um, and, and you did mention about the clean stay seal and um, the whole idea of, you know, walking into like this hermetically sealed room. Um, it, it, like, it's just, um, it seems so much more sterile than luxury. Um, so, Again, how are you going to infuse some of um, more luxury elements? What are some of the physical ways that you're going to put some luxury into it beyond just listening to the cues of the guest? Yeah, look, I, I think our immediate focus has to be, you know, reinforcing that that confidence. And again, if you think about, you know, again, the enterprise, you know, of Hilton, the Waldorf brand, Mayo, you know, our food luxury brands, all of those coming together is a very powerful message to give that safety and security. But I think at the end of the day, the experience won't change. That level of attentiveness, that reaction to the guest requirements, I think the way we deliver it, um, you know, making sure it's done, you know, in the right environment with the same panache we've always done it with. I don't think that level of engagement is going to change. Um, again, in the short term, I think, you know, absolute, you know, confidence in hygiene, I think pretty much overrides anything. But I, again, it's the team members that ultimately deliver it. And they've been doing it day after day. They've always been able to react comfortably, confidently to guest demands. So that, that won't change. Right, right. So uh, let's uh, pivot a little bit into, the, into wellness, which that's already a uh, booming sector of the travel industry, and it's certainly core to your brands. How do you think that wellness vacations will play a larger role? And has it evolved differently now because of the pandemic? I think as we've all been probably sat at home um, for the last you know, eight, 10 weeks, I think everybody's much more aware that wellness isn't just maybe a little bit of cardio um, a few times a week. I think there is a growing awareness of their mind, body, and soul. I think our responsibility, number one, is to make sure our team members can come to work um, feeling, you know, they can, they can be safe, secure, they do get the, the, the right work-life balance. And we've had that with our Thrive initiative for a while now. Um, I think from a guest point of view, making sure that no matter where they choose to find peace, meditation, you know, we can offer that, whether that's partnering um, with 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 apps or firms that can offer guided meditation in room, making sure that if guests choose to exercise in room, we can offer that. You know, we have um, uh, brands and, and partners that we can do that with, making sure that our, our fitness centers are appropriately distanced, making much more use of you know, our, um, our space, you know, our landscaping, so people want time to, to, to get out, be more outdoors, spend time, with, with loved ones. So I think there's a much more holistic awareness of kind of that holy trinity around mind, body, and soul. Um, certainly for me, being you know, at home now for 10 weeks, 
the three teenage boys um, going slightly crazy, it does make you aware of finding, you know, a better routine, balance, harmony, you know, between looking at a screen for like many of us right now, for hours and hours on end, finding time to be outside, finding time to work on, you know, yourself, your family. So I think we're going to have to make sure we can accommodate that um, in, in, in the guest room, in our public spaces, in our landscaping approach. Um, so I think, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done there, I think. Yeah, you know, you mentioned landscaping, and I can't help but think that that is going to play even uh, a bigger role moving forward because the landscaping will allow for these sanctuaries. And uh, like you said, everyone wants to get out and have a safe place to whether it be reflect or just breathe. <laughs> but, you know, I also, um, I know that you uh, have so many partnerships over the years. Um, you've always had um, very carefully curated and selected right partners. And I'm wondering if there are new kinds of partnerships that you're looking at now, uh, perhaps with um, companies that can help Waldorf and Conrad get the guests safely from end-to-end -end experience. So aviation companies or limousine companies, um, you know, basically transporting guests in, in, in a safety bubble. Have you thought about that or are you doing anything to that end? I mean, not, not right now. Our main focus is making sure that you know, we get um, our, our estate you know, fully reopened, get our team members back, get them in, put into process our our new standards, you know, whether they are, again, short-term, mid-term. I think in terms of, particularly in the luxury world, making sure we're a resource for our guests. So if they are still, again, nervous about travel, giving them guidance, working with them to really make sure that, you know, again, part of our Water Story brand is our personal concierge service. So you've got a, an individual from, from booking to departure that can help and support you that whole way through. I think having an expert on the end of an email or the end of a phone makes a huge difference to those who are perhaps a little bit more nervous than most. Gotcha. So, oh, you know, you, you're instituting um, Hilton at large is, is putting in so many new measures right now, um, obviously to make sure that the guest is cared for at the highest level. What are you, that you're implementing today, do you think will be here in five years from now? Like we'll be, part of the mix moving forward past the pandemic? Um, I think, I mean, you, you said it perfectly. I think the, the wellness component will be here. I mean, it's, it was already, you know, a, a huge trend. But I think, like I say, it will, people will become far more aware of how broad that, that sentiment is. Um, I think certainly we're going to continue with our sustainability approach and then moving toward making sure, you know, the items in a room, the items in a hotel, where we'd be mindful of, you know, how can we make safety and cleanliness work in harmony with our footprint? Um, I think an increasing amount of digitization, certainly for printed items, um, certainly for the way we deliver services. Um, again, I don't think that necessarily needs to translate to a reduction in engagement. I just think the engagement may look a little different. Um, but I would I'd say that our standards will evolve um, to really make sure that you know what's a, what's appropriate stays, what perhaps needs to evolve. Again, that's something that again the pandemic isn't necessarily driving. It may be accelerating in some ways, 
but we are constantly looking ways of enhancing the experience and balancing that against whether it be owner return or you know um, you know economics in region that, that just that's going to continue I think I mean certainly making more moving more to our you know app driven um, functionality I mean certainly luxury and making sure that that physical that personal engagement doesn't go away you know anything that we do on a technology front is really complemented by the personal touch yeah i would say hilton has been uh ahead of the game on the technology front and uh it probably was a great benefit to have a lot of the mechanics in place um at at, at this point so you can accelerate the tech side the no touch side of the operation um Dino, I have been notified that we are out of time. Um, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on our webinar today. And uh, we wish you and all of our friends at Hilton the very best and uh, look forward to traveling again and uh, being at the hotels. Thank you for joining us, Dino. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you, Dino and Michael. Next up, we have a conversation presented by Oracle Hospitality focused on a data-driven look at hospitality's recovery. This conversation will feature SVP and General Manager, Oracle Hospitality, Alex Alt, moderated by Skiftex Research Editor, Jeremy Cressman. Hi, everybody. Just to quickly set the stage for this chat, uh, we're going to be talking about the difficult hospitality recovery challenges created by COVID-19. You know, today's hotel owners and operators have really difficult decisions ahead of them about staffing, how to reopen properties safely, and how to operate in this new environment. So to help think more strategically about some of these decisions that are facing hotels, Skipton Oracle actually partnered earlier this spring on a global research study that we did of both hotel executives and of travelers. And today, I'm actually joined by Alex Alt from Oracle. He's going to tell us more about how Oracle is working to help the hospitality sector during this crisis and also offer some key initial takeaways from the study. So Alex, welcome to the Hospitality Summit. We're happy to have you here. Thanks, Jeremy. Great to be here. So Oracle has this really unique position in the industry, right? Um, you work with thousands of different partners around the world. What are you seeing from hoteliers right now? What are they focused on as they try and recover and resume operations? What are the keys to that? Yeah, so I think about the, the state of the hospitality industry really in three distinct chapters. Uh, the first was was at the outset of the crisis and it was all around liquidity and providing sufficient liquidity to to navigate a storm and if you looked at you know what what the large brands and and even down at the property level did it was about you know furloughing employees drawing down all lines of credit issuing debt selling uh reward points uh i think we're largely past that phase and the vast majority of customers that i talk to have, have shored up their balance sheet to you know, to navigate the current crisis. <clears throat> Second chapter is really about operational recovery. It's what <clears throat> the panelists today have been talking about. It's, it's what's going to change on property. What are operators uh, and brands going to do differently uh, around guest safety, employee safety uh, at the property level? I'll, I'll try to mix in a couple of stats from the joint research that we did. Uh, some interesting takeaways here. 90% of operators are already changing or have already changed frequency of cleaning and disinfecting procedures. 
84% of operators are, are altering public areas to accommodate social distancing. And then training is huge. 85% of operators are, are, are retraining employees to, to be able to deal with, with what's, a, what's a new normal around employee safety, guest safety, and, and uh, a new way of, of working with, uh, with, with teammates and guests. We've heard a lot about uh, sanitization. I'm sure Chip later from HNLA will talk about safe stay. Uh, we, we heard from Hilton about their, their clean stay initiative. Uh, so lots going on right now at the, at the operational level. Mm-hmm. I did see a study earlier this week, and Stefan referenced it, kind of the five certainties of the new world, mobile check-in, no daily housekeeping, uh, room service drop-off, no buffets, and, and self-park uh, as, as five certainties. We'll see if, if that comes to fruition. But, you know, we're working with our hotel partners now to, to assist in, in how they operate at the property level. The third chapter is, is really around evolving the corporate center, so I'll call it above property. Uh, uh, Carolyn mentioned in her question that, you know, the fact that many of the large global brands have furloughed, you know, significant portions of their, of their workforces. Uh, and, and that's going to create a new dynamic at the, at the brand level. <clears throat> what are their priorities? You know, the, the resource mix will likely be different than it was before the pandemic. So we're having multiple conversations with, with all of our customers about where they're going to be leaning more on, on Oracle hospitality coming out of, of the pandemic than perhaps, than perhaps they were before. But th- those are the three chapters of this crisis. And I think we're, we're kind of right in the middle of that operational recovery chapter. And then, and then quickly, uh, you know, the larger, you know, the large brands will be focused on that above property dynamic and, and what does that look like going forward? Yeah. Okay. So the three, the three keys for now, creating liquidity, this operational component of recovery, and then evolving the corporate center. You know, it was interesting hearing Hilton talk in our last chat and seeing that, that map of the room and the different cleaning procedures that are being put in place. Um, so another part of this, Alex, is this question about customers. And I'm wondering, do you think the industry's market mix might change? You know, we have these travel bans in place in some areas, travel bubbles, if you will, in others. What does that look like over the next six to 12 months in terms of the customer base? Yeah, uh, it's, it's a great question, Jeremy. And I, I talk to, you know, at a minimum, you know, five, six customers every single day. Uh, and then we also have, you know, thousands of properties utilizing our technology. So we can, we can look at what the, the trends are amongst, you know, our, our own data set. And then we also hear from, from our customers. And what we're hearing and seeing is that domestic travel uh, and, and drive to travel will really be the first back. Uh, the, the first part of the recovery. Uh, early results from our survey showed that, you know, 80% of consumers are considering, you know, either regional or domestic travel, uh, which, which shows that there is, in fact, some pent-up demand. The number for international travel is much lower, in part due to the fact that, you know, it's, it's very difficult to get, a, get an overseas or international flight right now. But I think the, the drive to uh, markets will be the first to recover. Uh, we're seeing and hearing from our customers, particularly those that have, uh, in, in, uh, domestically in the United States, that have beach destinations. They're seeing very strong occupancy for for those beach destinations where folks are getting in their car, they're driving to these these properties, and they're spending time on the beach. Uh, and and I would say we expect to see that to continue. We we monitor a a subset of about 600 properties, uh, and, and it's, a, it's across geographies, it's across chain scale, and, and, and again, we see that, that drive-to market being the, the first to recover. 
Uh, it's interesting, you know, I read, I read a lot of, of, of industry news and, and obviously the survey that we did in partnership with Skift. And, right. and it seems to me like there are really two camps of, 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 of belief in terms of the recovery. There's the optimistic, which suggests that that, you know, 2022, 2023 timeframe will be when things, you know, get back to normal, so to speak. And then I think the pessimistic camp is really in that, you know, 2024, 2025 time frame when we see things getting to those pre-COVID levels. Interestingly enough, in our survey, uh, a significant portion of our respondents uh, thought that it would be more in that, that optimistic, kind of that 18 to 24 month time frame. Uh, I love it. I think our industry is, is naturally optimistic, uh, but, but look, the, the recovery curve and the slope of that curve, uh, earlier question was asked, is it going to be a V or an L? We talk about the Nike recovery, which looks more like a swoosh. Uh, which is in fact a, a slower pace of recovery, uh, but but again led by led by domestic drive to, and then ultimately followed by international and and, and business travel. Okay, so uh, it does seem like there's some green shoots emerging, even if demand is not quite back to normal, and it may take a little while. Um, Alex, I have to ask you in this conversation about technology, Oracle plays such an instrumental role in the guest experience in different parts of the operations of hotels, delivering on that using technology. How can technology help facilitate some of the aspects of the recovery? Um, What are you seeing there and what pieces of the guest experience might change here? Yeah, so so let me start by saying we are partnering actively with, with all of our customers to to discuss and explore how our existing technology can, can facilitate, you know, new operating norms and then how we can partner together to rapidly deliver new innovations to do the, to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Technology uh, does, does a number of things. Uh, It's a driver of operational efficiency. It's an enabler of low touch, no touch operations. It's a, it's a tool for, for, as Dino said, it's a, it's a tool for guest engagement, particularly virtual guest engagement, which, which will certainly be the new norm. Uh, and then I think we've also got to step back and think about, you know, how do the, how do the technology budgets at the, at the brand level change over time? Uh, so, so all those are, are influenced and enabled by technology. A couple of things that we discovered in our survey, not necessarily surprising, but interesting when you when you put numbers to it and, and, and make it more of a data-driven response. So uh, we, we heard that 80% of, of hotel executives are focused on contactless payments and focused on means they're either offering it or planning to offer it. Uh, 70% digital messaging services, uh, 67% self-check-in procedures. This would be either online, via an app, via kiosk. Uh, and then 58% for smartphone-enabled room keys. <clears throat> what, what we've learned and, and what, what, what may be obvious to some is the, the impediment to the digital room key or the digital key is more the, the lock that's on the door and not the, not the technology that's, that's behind the scenes with you know, property management or apps. It's more about that, that door lock being, being the... Uh, being the enabler. But if you think about technology, it plays a, a key part in multiple parts of that traveler journey, you know, upstream. And I'll just give some examples of things we're, we're seeing and doing sure. today. But upstream, you know, in the booking and pre-arrival process, you know, people are using technology to change the standards for, for bookings and cancels and lead times and minimum stays and things like that to, to accommodate the new normal. Pre-arrival, I think we're getting a lot more active with with messaging between hotels and their guests pre-arrival, both in terms of what guests can expect, 
but also getting information from guests that allow hotels to plan more effectively for arrival to, to, um, to facilitate the, the appropriate social distancing in the hotel lobbies. Once, once you're on property, you know, things like, you know, automated check-in, messaging between the, the front desk uh, and, and the guest, check out all these things is really about, uh, you know, how do you, how do you facilitate self-service and, and touch-free you know, in all of my discussions, particularly with hotel companies, CEOs, this concept of, of touchless or contactless commerce and engagement is, is a huge priority. I loved what, what Stefan said in his commentary earlier. He called it, you know, historically they use the term high touch. Now they've pivoted to high care. Uh, and, and absolutely, and Dino seconded the motion, which is you can still have high touch, high care engagement with your customers albeit via different vehicles and in different mediums, largely with technology, supplementing what may have historically been uh, an in-person engagement. And, and Jeremy, let me say one more thing. You know, okay. Oracle Hospitality has got, you know, a, a, a significant install base. Our products have amazing capabilities, but this is a very broad ecosystem. And a lot of, of where the magic happens is when technology providers come together to support our customers we are uh, in the midst of, of planning for, and we'll have an innovation week, the week of, of June second through 20, uh, 20, June twenty second through June twenty sixth, where we're bringing in a broad array of, of technology providers, really with a focus on how do we rapidly enable touch free uh, engagement with guests, and, and the intent for us is to, to 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 problem solve to help meet the needs of our customers, but also to to accelerate certification of partners that want to leverage our core, our core technologies to, to provide incremental touch-free services to, to hotel companies, employees, and guests. So that, that's an example of something we're doing to, to bring the industry together to, to really help, uh, help our customers operate in this new norm and help not only use our technology, but other technology that's out there to, to facilitate this new normal when it comes to operations. Right. And it seems like such a great moment to, you know, spur the industry forward with innovation and think about what comes next. Um, what do you think the next 12 to 24 months, you know, you gave this prediction before about the return in demand, but what do you see coming for the hospitality sector, Alex? Anything they need to keep in mind or they should be watching out for as they kind of chart the course through this uncertain period? Well, look, I think the panelists today have done a great job talking about the, the modified operating procedures. Uh, we, we sense and, and we saw, you know, in, in our data, we saw a nice pop in demand uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and, and I think as we talk to, uh, as we talk to executives and, and part of our study, Jeremy, as you know, is we went out and talked to, to travelers and consumers and there is a reasonable amount of, of pent-up demand up there. A couple of statistics. Uh, 63% of consumers are, are planning leisure trips within the next 12 to 24 months. Uh, the business market's coming back. 53% they would plan, said they would plan international trips. So I think we're going to, you know, as the market starts to open back up, I think we're going to see a, a nice bounce back. Uh, I do, I do, you know, we, a couple of the panelists mentioned it earlier, that, that cross-border travel, that international travel is going to be heavily dependent on, uh, on, on the airlines and when that airline travel starts to open back up. Right. Uh, I, I think the, you know, the hotel brands that we work with, those that have presented today, are doing a fantastic job of, of 
you know, getting to a point where they're going to make consumers feel consumers and guests feel comfortable with the, the hospitality experience. I think the, you know, that the, the travel experience, the air experience may be the long pole in the tent that, that ends up dictating when that international travel, uh, when that international travel, uh, comes back, uh, but look, we're, we're working with customers uh, and, and, and we're, you know, we start to see some of the booking patterns start to build. And, and I think being ready for that bounce back, uh, ensuring that you've, you've taken advantage of technology, you've trained your, your property employees to, to care for guests and, and to be on the lookout for their safety. I, I think, uh, you know, I think it's going to be uh, a nice, a nice bounce back. The, the last thing I'd say here is, you know, uh, I run Oracle Hospitality, but Oracle has, has been quite involved. We have a health and life science business. So we're working on you know, where we do, um, you know, clinical trials. Uh, and, and, and there's a, a large belief in the industry that the, you know, the vaccine is, is really a key to unlocking the, the full potential of travel and getting it back to pre-crisis norms. I'd also say that the, the, you know, the clinical treatments for, for COVID have improved drastically, even, mm-hmm. even over the last couple months. So I think as, as consumers start to build that confidence, we'll start to see that demand pick back up. And hopefully that's facilitated by increased, increased lift from the airlines, both domestically and, and cross-border. Great. Well, certainly some signs for optimism. I think we can leave our conversation there. But Alex, it's really been a pleasure to hear some of your insights. You guys have such so much stuff going on right now. One other thing I want to mention to everyone who's looking for the data that Alex was citing during our session, uh, we're going to be publishing a report later this summer on Skipped between Oracle and, and Skipped describing some of the results. So thank you again, Alex. Appreciate it. Fantastic. That. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you, Alex and Jeremy. Uh, now we'll dive right into trust and reputation in the post-coronavirus age. This conversation will feature Adele Gutman, a VP of Sales, Marketing, and Revenue at Library Hotel Collection. Uh, this will be moderated by Skipped Hospitality Reporter, Cameron Spearance. Good day, everyone. I'm Cameron Spearance, the Hospitality Reporter at Skift, and today we will be discussing trust and reputation for hotels in the post-coronavirus age. Um, I'm joined by Adele Gutman, Vice President of Sales, Marketing, and Revenue at the Library Hotel Collection. And Adele, thanks so much for being with us today. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Wonderful. And I mean, let's just hop right in. You've had a remarkable career, including 20 years alone working with the Library Hotel Collection and President and CEO Henry Callen. Obviously, we're in a highly unique time right now for the hotel industry. Can you maybe give us an update on how things are going for your company at the moment? Well, at the moment, all of our hotels are closed. And, um, you know, we have four beautiful boutique hotels in New York City, which is, of course, uh, one of the uh, hardest hit areas uh, in the country for uh, the coronavirus uh, accounting because it is such an incredibly popular international destinations with uh, hundreds of uh, actually thousands of international flights uh, every day coming into our airport. So, of course, um, we were hit first and that was to be expected. Um, but uh, I'm happy to say that um, our, our incidents uh, are going down and down and down. In fact, uh, probably 90% down from the peak of the virus. So uh, we're all, as New Yorkers, working hard to flatten the curve. And, uh, and you know what? There's a glimmer of hope in our hearts today because we have a beautiful boutique hotel in, uh, in Budapest as well. 
And today, uh, actually last night, we opened our uh, sky, no, uh, sky Bar at the Aria Hotel Budapest for the first time. And this morning I got to enjoy a beautiful virtual um, rooftop uh, yoga class this morning. So it's a glimmer of hope, uh, a little budding of spring uh, for, our, for our hotels. And in Toronto, we have a, uh, a wonderful, um, urban resort in downtown Toronto called uh, Hotel X Toronto. It's an exhibition place. It's got a 90,000 square foot uh, athletic center. Uh, it's on acres of gardens. It's on the on the lakefront. Uh, it, it is a perfect space for social distancing. And to my surprise, um, I thought that groups would be the last to come back, but actually we're getting a lot of group requests for late in this year and early next year. So there's a, a lot of uh, positivity going on there. Great, that's wonderful to hear. Can you maybe elaborate a little bit about, I mean, given this time where, and, and not just your company, we're hearing a lot from across the industry as a whole that many hotels have temporarily suspended operations, but what can happen in this time to maybe work towards staff training around hospitality and service and are there any opportunities to take advantage of some of the, this dormant time for, for the portfolio? You know, well, for those who may not be very familiar with the Library Hotel Collection and, and what we're about, we, um, we call our, our, our little claim to fame is that we are very, very highly ranked uh, in terms of guest satisfaction on, on any uh, venue. But for example, if you look at TripAdvisor, um, we have the number one, number two, and number three hotel based on guest satisfaction in New York. Ten years ago, we had number one, number two, number three, and number four of four. Right in a row, it is something that no other hotel group has ever accomplished. We're number one in Budapest, and actually the Budapest Hotel was uh, ranked the number one hotel in the world out of 1.1 million accommodations on TripAdvisor based on guest satisfaction. And that is because of our devotion to the trust and the relationship and the reputation uh, that we have. And I, I, I say this because it's just a system that anybody can do. Uh, we, we constantly talk to our team about kindness and compassion and about doing everything we can to make sure that that guest is feeling cared for, appreciated and respected at every encounter. And, you know, even our Toronto hotel, which isn't completely finished yet, we have a lot of bells and whistles that are yet to go there. And it's already ranked in the number five in Toronto. That means that what we believe about ourselves and what the guests say, yes, that is what you're doing. That is how I feel. That is how I'm, I'm being treated. That there is, uh, that we have tried to flatten that gap between what we believe, what we want, what we're trying to achieve, and that our level of care, and what the guest is really feeling that they're experiencing. And I would say that you know, there's always a gap, what we VPs and, and CEOs and, and, and C-suite people, there's always a gap between what we believe and what we say about our company and what we're trying to achieve and what 
every doorman, every housekeeper, every uh, every busboy and uh, room service attendant. There's always some level of gap because we're individual people after all. But as leaders, uh, it's our job to close that gap. And here, in this time of the coronavirus, I would say that trust has never been more important than it has been at this moment. So while I'm so impressed by um, the, uh, the plans and, the, and the, the care and detail work that has been gone into the plans of so many companies, like we've really been trying to think through how can we best protect our guests. But what really is gonna matter is how our staff delivers that actual care. And I'll give you some examples of, of gaps. Just yesterday, someone told me that they went to a store that clearly said uh, that, you know, Maxter are required in the store. And as soon as she entered the store, the two people behind the counter were not wearing masks and not socially distant. And when she mentioned it, she said, look, I, I have immuno problems and, and I was told that this was going to be a, you know, a mask only place. And they said, well, you do you, we'll do us. Mm -hmm. And you know what? That person found out through friends that the owners of that places are really nice and they deeply care, but there's a gap between the planning and the execution. And uh, you know, the way, the way to close that gap, I've been so inspired. Uh, I don't know if you've been watching our governor in New York, um, Andrew Cuomo. Every single day, he says to us, New Yorkers are tough. You're smart, you're united, you're loving, you're diligent, oh no, not diligent, he says disciplined. And every single day, he tells New Yorkers who they are. And you know what? I've been told by, by my friends who are walking around in the different boroughs, especially Manhattan, saying people are being so respectful. And, and that's why we're bringing that, uh, that's why we're bringing that, um, those, those risks down, uh, step by step. And believe me, we're so, uh, so focused on getting it right. I was just on a call yesterday with my fellow uh, hospitality professionals in New York, uh, at the HSMA, mm -hmm. New York chapter. And I can tell you that these people just constantly express, they're talking about kindness and compassion. They're talking about our commitment to getting it right for our visitors and making sure that they are well taken care of. That's and, great. <laughs> if I can just interject there. Um, I, I, so, no, 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 no. Uh, with the messaging, because it is, I, I think you really hit the mark, and it was very interesting to hear that group, you mentioned group travel is potentially back on for the end of the year. Can you maybe elaborate on what messaging you're going to convey for more business to come in like that? I mean, is it strictly some of these cleaning and heightened health and safety standards, or is there something beyond that that we should be um, really focusing on to appeal to the first round of travelers that come back in the recovery? Well, you know what? I think that the first round of communication is really internal. And, you know, we've been lucky that we have been talking about kindness and compassion, as I mentioned, for decades. Um, and, 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 and that has been felt. 
But if that hasn't been the main part of your conversation, if you feel that there is still a gap between what you want, what your plan is, and what the actual execution by the individuals is, the first point of communication has to be with the team, making sure that they feel um, empowered, trained, have all the tools they need, and that they are protected. I'll give you an example. Just last week, I read from a fellow hotelier outside New York that she was that her hotel reopened and she was so excited about it and she came back to work having been told that every measure would be taken to protect her safety. But when she got to work, nobody was wearing masks, nobody was social distancing, and they were hugging each other and she felt complete fear. And she felt that if she spoke out about it, she would maybe lose her job, which she needs. And if she didn't speak out about it, she could get sick. And, you know, so it's our responsibility to take care of that first. And, uh, you know, like Dino said, I, I think he said, we have to make sure that we're taking care of our, um, our, our people first. That's, that's the first part. Because once everybody has in their hearts committed to, I'm going to do everything I can to go out of my way. When nobody's looking, when no manager is watching me, I am the kind of person that is going to be diligent. They will always do more. And I have confidence that my team, they're just used to that. Whenever we tell them what we want, they come up with the most amazing things because they're using their passion and their creativity and their freedom from fear. They know that they won't get in trouble for for stepping outside the box and going the extra mile. And that's really, I think, the most important work we need to be doing before the, uh, the messaging to the public. But I will mention the messaging to the public as well. I think that our tone needs to change um, altogether. You know, um, someone, uh, someone recently said, pure give uh, to me, and that, that that, that phrase will <laughs> never uh, leave my mind. Um, that uh, that we, we should be, every, our tone to our customers is how much we care, how much, it's not about us, it's about you, how committed we are to you, and, um, and anything you need, we're going to take care of. And that we are, of course, we're cooperating with all the CDC guidelines and that we're working with the medical profession to create protocols inside the hotel to, for your safety. But you speak to us and let us know, and we're going to make sure you feel at ease any way we can. Wonderful. Well, Adele, I'm getting uh, the note to wrap up. I think that's a great point to end with. And I, I really thank you for taking time today to chat with us. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Great. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Thank you, Adele and Cameron. Next up, we will jump right into our, our final conversation for today, Safeguarding Hospitality's Future. This conversation will feature the president and CEO of the AHLA, William Chip Rogers, uh, and also Lisa Cecchio, the EVP and CMO of Wyndham Hotels and Resorts. Cameron Spirance, hospitality reporter at Skift, will moderate once again. Hey, everyone. Uh, haven't gotten rid of me yet. So now moving on, we're going to change gears while still keeping an eye on the future for the industry and for today's, today's panel on safeguarding hospitality's future from safety to operations to brand messaging. 
Um, as Brian mentioned, I'm joined by Wyndham Hotels and Resorts Executive Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer Lisa Cecchio and American Hotel and Lodging Association President and CEO Chip Rogers. Good day, y'all. Thanks for being with us. Hey, Cameron, good to be with you. Hi, Cameron. Hi, Chip. How are you? Good, good. Nice to see you again. Nice to see you. So let's hop right into it. Um, it's a very tough time for the industry right now, but we are hearing some signs of a very early recovery. But hotels that have survived this health crisis are now going to have to battle with an economic one. And I'm curious, what are some of the key concerns you've heard in talking with brands across the sector and how are they feeling? Chip, maybe let's start with you and then Lisa, we can move to Wyndham specifically. Yeah, look, Cameron, first, uh, thanks for asking the question. Um, Clearly, there are some places around the Gulf Coast drive to uh, beach destinations that are doing a little bit better. But I don't want us to, uh, we've all been so excited about seeing any signs of life uh, that we may be grasping onto these with a little more hope than, than, than we should. And, and the reason I say that is because for most hoteliers, most franchisees, they are still in the midst of trying to figure out how they are going to save their business. And yes, we're beginning to see some of this summer-related travel, particularly out of families that have been cooped up in their homes for, for a couple of months. But you know what? Not even the coronavirus can stop fall from coming. So summer will come and go, and hopefully leisure activity will, will continue to tick up day after day. But we really need to start seeing that business activity. Um, I, I'm a little concerned about some of these businesses who almost wear it as a badge of honor to suggest that they're not going to allow their employees to travel. I think that's a terrible message. I don't think it's scientifically backed up at all. And it does hurt our economy, it hurts our entire economy. Uh, travel, as you know, is critically important. So when it is safe, people should be traveling. And I think we shouldn't be looking to necessarily always to those folks who've been getting it wrong so much recently. I think we should be looking to the folks who are getting it right. We can now see in what we call our laboratories of democracy in what places across the country where the policies are working and it's making a difference. Um, so. Once Americans start feeling safe again, we do need to get out and travel. It helps everybody. Wonderful. And Lisa, I mean, can you maybe elaborate a little bit on what you're seeing with Wyndham specifically and how uh, some of your own operators are handling the crisis? Sure. So we've been fortunate in that in the U.S. of our nearly 6,000 hotels, over 90% of them have remained open through the crisis. Um, and they've been able to do so running with limited staff and with the support of of the CARES Act that, uh, that they've been able to receive, as well as with some of the relief that Wyndham has been able to give them. We've been very focused on, you know, doing everything that we can to help our franchisees to remain open, to keep the hotels open and afloat. Um, I think to Chip's point, we are starting to be cautiously optimistic in terms of what we're seeing in certain pockets of the country. From a leisure perspective, we're definitely starting to see those trends tick up weekend over weekend since its low point in mid-April. Um, but from a corporate or business perspective, the hotels have been filled with, um, you know, essential workers ranging from um, you know, healthcare to the trucking industry to steel and, and construction. Um, and so we're seeing a different type of business traveler into our hotels, but agree with Chip wholeheartedly that, um, you know, it, when the time is right, it's going to be time for us to all be supporting travel and do what we can to, to get that travel back, those guests back into our hotels. Absolutely. So I want to move to cleaning and safety in particular, because there are major topics right now, especially in conveying trust and transparency to the first round of travelers during the recovery. The HLA Stay Safe Guidelines are a foundation to a lot of companies' own cleaning standards. So how did you formalize this process, Chip? And Lisa, how did, has Wyndham gone about incorporating that into its own Count on Us initiative? 
Yeah, so about a month and a half ago, we began seeing what was taking place uh, in China and in the Far East, where governments were coming in and saying, here's the checklist you've got to follow to get back open and operational again for those hotels that had been shut down there. We almost used that as a, as a wake-up call that we better get ahead of this so that we as an industry can create guidelines that we know will work, we know will be flexible, and we know will matter to both the guests and to the employees. And I don't want to leave the employees out because that is critical that they feel safe uh, in their workplace. So what we did is we got all the brands together, including our dear friends at Wyndham, who've been extremely helpful. And uh, their, their CEO, Jeff Bellotti, is a dear friend of mine and, and one of the best in the business. Um, but they have been so supportive of saying, look, as an industry, we need standards that can be applied from the smallest limited service hotel all the way up to the largest luxury resort. And when we do that, we have a message that we can go to the consumers with that everyone can, can understand. And it doesn't matter what type of trip you're planning, what type of hotel you want to go to, you should know that that hotel follows a set of baseline standards. And then because each brand is different, has their own unique style, has your own, own unique set of uh, rules and, and operations and hotels, um, many of them have decided to go above and beyond the safe stay standards, which we certainly applaud. Um, and Wyndham is one of those companies that has done that, and, and they're doing a great job with it. So um, we think having the travelers and the employees understand that no matter what hotel you're in, there are going to be cleaning standards that are tied to CDC recommendations. Um, and by the way, we had the CDC review our recommendations. We think we're one of the only, if not the only industry in America that has had the CDC review their cleaning recommendations. They came back with a couple of changes. We've made those changes. Um, but these things are up to date and they can provide all sorts of security for travelers to know that, hey, when I walk into a hotel, it's going to be very clean. Yeah, and I think that that's been core for what Wyndham has done. We've partnered very closely with the HLA and are instituting a lot of the guidelines that have been laid out for us um, in, in the Safe Stay program. And then on top of that, the, the core foundation for Count on Us is to really build a sense of confidence with guests that there will be, they are going to be safe, that we are enriching and enhancing protocols that were really always core to who we are. I think with, with what's starting to happen now is that we're bringing these cleaning protocols, the visual cues of a hotel being clean to the forefront, um, which, is a, which is a big part of Count on Us. I mean, from a franchisee perspective, the core tenant of Count on Us in, the, in these initial phases is getting the supplies into the hotels. We heard from many very early on that with some of the supply chain issues, it was very difficult to source some of these EPA approved, CDC approved, hand sanitizers, wipes, cleaning supplies, masks. Um, and so through our partnership with Ecolab, we've now been able to drop ship these very difficult materials directly into our hotels so that our hotels have what they need to service these first guests that are coming back into their hotels. And those materials are starting to arrive as early as tomorrow, um, and then we'll roll out in the weeks to come. But you know, it was very important for us that in order to ensure that our hotels are delivering the highest standard of service to our guests and to ensure that our staff at the hotels are safe, um, that they have the correct materials and cleaning supplies to do so. And training as well, which is a big part of, um, of not only the Safe Stay program that we've incorporated into our training modules, um, but into the enhanced training that we're doing for our, our hotel staff. Absolutely. Now, Chip, beyond cleaning and stay safe, I know the AHLA has established a roadmap to recovery, and I believe we have a visual of this um, ready to go, with a variety of ways that Congress can help get the industry back on its feet. Can you maybe give us a brief overview of what maybe are the most vital points in this roadmap to throttle the industry forward into some level of recovery? 
Yeah, I'm glad you put that up there. I know some of the writing is small, but uh, folks can see it on our website as well. What's interesting about this roadmap and to keep in mind, as with any roadmap, you may be in a different place than someone else who's traveling that same day. So as you look at this and recognize that different hotels, different parts of the country, different types of hotels, different companies are going to be in a different place in this roadmap than, than other places. So if you're in the Gulf Coast of Florida right now where, where occupancy is booming, you're going to be somewhere different than if you're in a, a convention center hotel in a large convention city. But what the roadmap is meant to do is to say, look, here's where, where we need help first. We have hoteliers that are really trying to find any way possible to keep their business open. And that is so critical. What help can we get those hoteliers to make sure they stay in business? The second part of that and combined with that is the employees at those hotels. Keep in mind, Cameron, as you know, and, and so many watching this, back in January of this year, we had 900,000 job openings in our industry. And now we have millions of jobs lost. It's all happened that quickly. So we've got to make sure we're taking care of the employees. The second part is what is the safety, as we talk about with safe state, that we can put in place to make sure that the hotel is operational and ready to go when those guests come back. And then the third part is what are we doing to promote travel within the United States again? Right now we know that a lot of drive, drive travel is happening. Uh, if you're three or four hours away from a destination, you'll get in your car, especially at under $2 a gallon of gasoline. But how are we working with the airlines? How are we working with our friends at US Travel? How are we working with the federal government to make sure that we're uh, providing actual fiscal incentives for people to get out there and travel again? So the roadmap is, let's make sure that we're protecting the hotels and that they don't go out of business. Let's make sure they're safe, clean, and ready, and we're promoting that message. And then let's make sure that we are promoting travel so the consumer uh, gets back out on the road again. Is there any, to follow up on kind of a point you made earlier about you need businesses to reopen travel, send employees out there. I mean, is there a part of this roadmap in appealing directly to some of these corporate clients and conveying just, you know, hotels are ultimately safe to, and they can basically allay their fears knowing that these are among the safest spots to be in the country? Yeah, look, we, we, we do hold one-off phone calls. There's no question about that with, with uh, large business leaders. And we work with our friends at U.S. Travel to do so as well. Uh, but the focus at this point is still that general message to all consumers, which would get hopefully both business travel and it would get leisure travel. Uh, meetings and conventions is another issue. We absolutely need that back, but a lot of that's going require, gonna to require some of the guidelines to be processed where those convention centers understand how many people they can have in a building at once. But I think that message, Cameron, of, hey, travel is safe and important. We've got to project that, but also want to mention that there's a reason business travel happened to begin with. And whatever the economic reason was for business travel to start and flourish so well through the decades is going to continue. So you might be putting your business at an economic disadvantage if you're not willing to travel. Lisa, kind of pivoting that message to you, I know there's also a reason for drive to and leisure travel to happen. And that was cited a lot in your first quarter or earnings calls as why Wyndham would be at an advantage. But a lot of guests expect a very hospitable experience. And I'm curious, do any of these changes expected to come to the industry impact guest experience? And how do you marry sort of all these heightened safety and hygiene matters with what drives a person to book to stay in the first place? And that is a very hospitable environment. That's right. And I think we're thinking about clean and safety. You know, if you think we typically would market it in the background. It wouldn't be something that you would see in the forefront. You would assume that a hotel is safe and clean. I mean, that is the core to any real hospitable stay. 
Um, and what I think you're going to start to see is this now come to the forefront, the same way we talk about amenities in the hotel, the way we talk about food and beverage or Wi-Fi or locations, in that, you know, guests are searching for what are our policies now? What are the hotels doing to clean? We've seen a significant uptick in calls to our hotels asking specifically what the protocols are. We've seen an uptick in calls to our call centers asking for, you know, for us to explain what counter us is, what they can, what guests can expect when they come into our hotels. How will we ensure that our, you know, there's a consistency across the board, no matter what hotel brand they choose to stay in. Um, and I think that is part of being hospitable and about really rising to the occasion to meet a changing guest expectation in that they want a, they want a hotel stay that, especially for these leisure guests that are starting to travel, they want a hotel stay that is convenient as they think about, you know, either visiting and rebooking and reconnecting with friends and family that they haven't seen in a while or visiting and taking their usual beach vacations as beaches start to open. You know, on top of their mind, on top of, you know, is this in a location that I want to go is, is my family going to be safe? And I think as the guest expectations start to change, it is our responsibility now to, to kind of bring that more to the forefront and, and give them that, that peace of mind and that assurance and that confidence that they will be safe. Um, and I think coupled with that will also be the flexibility in the booking in that, you know, we've been very flexible in our booking policies, extending them through the middle of the summer um, so that guests can feel confident that they can book a stay if for whatever reason they have to cancel there won't be any penalties. We've extended all of our, our member benefit, uh, member tiers and point expiration out until the end of the year so that guests feel that and our members feel that, you know, we are, we're understanding that it may be a little slow for them to get out there, but we're thinking about them and that when they do book, they can have confidence in, in that they'll still be treated with the same level of, you know, that, that special treatment that they've come to accept from Wyndham as a member, but also the core to what it is to be a hotel company, which is service. Um, and I think to a point that Aldine um, had made earlier is that part of that is also making sure that we take care of our team members on the ground and in the hotels, because if they feel safe, if they feel taken care of, if they have the correct equipment um, and the right PPE to keep them safe, they'll then be able to treat our guests the way that we want them to. Great, and Chip, kind of as a follow-up to that, obviously, Wyndham is able to appeal as a familiar brand, but the AHLA also includes uh, independent and boutique operators. And I'm curious, like, how do these smaller entities within hot the hotel industry convey trust and just as equally get that message out there that we're safe and allay the fears of uh, potential travelers? Well, look, we're glad that uh, since we launched Safe Stay, we've had about 1,500 companies uh, those include in, uh, independent hotels as well that have endorsed our program. In fact, even the Hotel Association of Canada, our dear friends to the north, endorsed it recently. So we're, we're getting a lot of that. And, and having that standard uh, be known and in direct relation to the hotel industry across the board, no matter, again, whether you're staying in a, a small independent hotel or, or a large corporate hotel uh, or anywhere in between, that message needs to be uh, with all consumers. And so we certainly welcome all independent hotels to join with us. There's no cost. Um, and, and we've had thousands of them do so. So I think they're in a good position. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we've, we've heard a lot about what it is that we are going to do. You know, in our world, we talk a lot about what kind of assistance can we get from the government to make sure that these hotels don't fail and that their employees can take care of their lives. All that is critically important. 
But ultimately, at some point, we have to get to the final answer, which is travel has to happen again. And it's got to happen uh, in a very similar way to, to what was happening. So if travel drops by 30%, never recovers, um, this is going to be a problem that persists forever. So um, I think that is our continual message because that rising tide of, of more travelers will lift all boats, whether you're a, a franchise hotel or an independent hotel. And I agree, travel has to happen again, but I mean, what brings about that again, so to speak? I mean, is it a vaccine or, I mean, the pandemic has changed the world. So I'm just, can you elaborate a little bit about how do you convince these people that travel has to happen again when they're obviously very concerned about their own employees? Yeah, well, we, we're doing our part with um, making sure that things like safe stay are, are well known, right? And look, even if safe stay didn't exist, and it does, but let's say it didn't exist, we're still talking about a hotel that is probably cleaner than any place else they're going to be. I mean, think about your own home. How many times do you clean your home in a given day, week, month? Well, in a hotel, the rooms are being cleaned every day, and the public areas are now being cleaned multiple times each day with products that have been approved by the CDC uh, to be the most effective in killing a virus. And by the way, we've had other viruses, so the hotel industry has already worked on this. So that's the cleanliness part. But keep in mind, there's a lot of economic factors as well. And some of this, we've frankly done to ourselves as a nation. Um, so unemployment is at a level that we've never seen before. In our lifetime, everybody that's listening to me right now, unless you lived during the Great Depression, you've never seen unemployment like this. So some of these decisions are not necessarily fear of getting the virus, but they are fear of not having enough money, a fear of not knowing where your job is going to be. And so this uh, environment of how we get our economy going, which includes travel, is much larger than what we're doing. But it's important that we play our role because if we play our role right and everybody else plays their role right, we'll get back and that, that, that uh, resumption of, of economic activity will look more like a V and, and less like uh, a flattened out hockey stick, so to speak. Um, so, you know, these are things that all of us can play a part in. Um, we're doing our role right now. I, I would mention too that you know, if someone thinks a hotel is the cleanest place they could ever be, but they're fearful of getting on an airplane or they're fearful of getting in a train, then they're never going to show up at that hotel unless they do it through their, through their vehicle. So it's important that all the parts of travel are working together, which is what we do every day. I want to pivot a little bit away from, uh, or a lot of it rather, from some of these new cleaning policies. We did see that obviously 9-11 saw new policy protections being added to protect hotels from terrorist acts in the form of terrorism risk insurance. We're hearing pandemic risk insurance uh, being proposed in Washington. I mean, do we need to consider new policy reforms now to help safeguard hospitality's future from this pandemic and others that might arise? Uh, absolutely. And we are very supportive of what's known, what's being called now PRIA, like TRIA, which was the terrorism risk insurance, PRIA, uh, which would be for pandemic risk insurance, uh, which would include business interruption as well from cancellations that were due to a pandemic, which as uh, a, a lot of hoteliers are facing right now, recognize that they didn't have sufficient coverage in that area to begin with. And so, yeah, those policy decisions um, are being made right now. There's a lot of policy being made and we're at the forefront of all of that. Uh, it's important to keep in mind that we strategize our way through this. In other words, what we need here and now is for the, the CARES Act, the PPP, to work better, more effectively, and we're working on that. Um, we have to take care of the financial situation as it exists right now, and then also at the same time project what is the future going to look like. So can we begin working on legislation, which we already have, to begin promoting travel? How do we make it more affordable to travel? I talked about the economic impact uh, of the pandemic a moment ago. 
And then how do we make sure the next time there's a pandemic and there will be another pandemic that we don't find ourselves in this situation again? So all of those things are happening simultaneously, but we also need to make sure we're properly prioritizing them to solve the here and now problem. Because if a hotel owner loses his hotel or 2,000 hotels go out of business, Priya is not going to matter to those folks. They're out of business, right? Those employees are going to lose their job. So let's make sure we're taking care of them while also simultaneously looking to help ourselves in the future. Well, I was going to follow up with that, actually. I mean, we're hearing a lot about how operators are struggling with business interruption policies. So, I mean, is Priya going to help anyone who's struggling now, or is this a reactive measure? Uh, uh, it, it won't happen retroactively. I can't imagine it's going to happen retroactively because the, the products that were created, the insurance products that were created, uh, didn't price anything like that. So obviously with every type of insurance, uh, you know, you, you're not going to have something, uh, pay for something or, or not pay for something and then expect to get it later. Like if I didn't put my 19-year-old son on my insurance and he got in an automobile accident, they're not going to cover it. Um, so that's the challenge that we face looking retroactively. Uh, but proactively and prospectively, um, this hopefully will happen because I think just like TRIA, when you have something of this magnitude, there's no single hotel operator that can walk, or walk away unscathed and most have a significant lasting impact on their business model that hurts them for years. So we need to be prepared for these almost cataclysmic type events. Great. Lisa, I want to end with you. I mean, summer is about to begin and we are beginning to see measured reopenings with different municipal and state governments. So what should the industry and companies like Wendem be mindful of as we head into kind of an unknown travel season this year? I think what we're very mindful of in the way, especially the way that we're going back out to market to our guests is what they're ready for. And to be mindful of as guests start to travel around the country, how they will be able to travel, you know, and what are the local policies that are in place in terms of, you know, if a guest is required to wear masks or not, um, or, you know, what is required in the hotels. We, we did see over Memorial Day weekend um, through some of our um, beach hotels in Florida and in East Texas, um, you know, occupancy start to rise as people start to, um, you know, come back into the hotels and the social distancing um, that we've put into um, place in the hotels um, was very effective. Um, you know, we're getting questions on, you know, in, in terms of, is it the guests that are asking for it or the hotel staff in order to keep it safe? I think as we're seeing more and more guests coming into the hotels, it's going to be even more critical um, that we are mindful of these measures and then we're mindful of ensuring that our, our staff is prepared and ready to welcome them. I think we're also going um, to see an increased measure in, in the way that we talk about the visual cues both in the hotels and in our marketing when it comes to all that we're doing to keep our guests safe um, and that we're prepared um, when they arrive in the hotels. I think unique, Wyndham is very uniquely, uniquely positioned in that with over 6,000 hotels across the country, uh, you know, 90% of those hotels outside of major markets to drive to locations that we're seeing this, this first segment come back to. Um, we And having been open the majority of the time um, throughout the pandemic, we are welcoming guests every single day. Um, and we're seeing more and more of them come in on the weekends. And I think the message to, to them and to our franchisees is that we're ready. We're ready to welcome them. Um, we put the correct measures in place to keep the hotels and the guests safe. Um, and that we'll continue to do this um, for the foreseeable future, because again, these are enrichments and enhancements to what we were already doing. And in our partnership with 
the AHLA and other associations were really mindful of that level of consistency and trust that we want to bring back to all travelers coming back um, because it is it is a it will be critical for um, for all segments as they return to have a sense of confidence um, that guests of all kinds can be in the hotels that will be safe um, and that we're doing all that we can to, to keep them that way. Great. Well, I think that's a good note to end on. Um, Lisa and Chip, I can't thank you enough for joining us today and giving your insight on uh, as the industry navigates this recovery. So wish you both the best and thanks again. Cameron, thanks, Lisa. Great to see you. Nice to see you too. Thanks, Cameron. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us today for Skiff's Travels Path Forward series for hotels. Thank you to our speakers for sharing their perspectives during today's online summit. And once again, thank you to Oracle Hospitality for being today's sponsor. We will be sharing a recording of this webinar later this week via forum.skift.com. You can view all of our continuing crisis coverage on the industry at skift.com. And as a reminder, we are hosting our Skift Forum Europe as an online conference on June 30th. We hope you can join us. Thank you and hope to have you join us again in July as we continue our Travels Path Forward online summit series.